Amen. Amen. Yes. Praise God. That's awesome. God is good, isn't he? He's so good. It's great to be with you today, celebrating Jesus as always. We're not a perfect church or perfect people, but we are here because we know we need God's help, and he's provided that help through Jesus Christ our Lord. So grateful for y'all and the tech team and sound and the worship team and everybody that got all that stuff together. We were having a little bit of problems in the earlier service, and it all worked out. And so, uh, you know, if you came in and we were still in church, it wasn't my fault. So don't get nervous. Hopefully some people didn't leave. May have been a little bit my fault, but it wasn't all my fault. I'll just say it that way, all right? We're good. God is amazing, and he's doing some great stuff with us, and he wants to do more. And I love him. He's so good, isn't he? Church, as we uh, are navigating through today and the day in which we live, I want to talk to you a little bit about some stuff. As I said, last Sunday I did a little different type of approach to the message, as you know, if you were here. If not, they're always available online, by the way. You can always do that, and thanks for joining us online if you're there today or whenever you are through the week. Listen, church, the thing is, is that... Um, as we talked about the end times and the different stuff, we took an approach to the service as if we were in the tribulation period type thing and just talking about all those things that are going around and uh, what the scriptures say. And uh, in doing so, I recognize that some people, uh, I, I do, I can't stop and explain everything in the message, you know, it's so it's like processing, listening to God, trying to say the right things the right way and do what he's asking me to do. And uh, some people in the congregation, some of our people were, have not been in the church. Uh, they're new to the whole thing and walking with Jesus and all that. Or they've been um, in churches, but uh, not really taught scripture. And that happens way too frequently. And uh, some people are, um, have, were de-churched and unchurched and non-Christ-centered things and all that stuff from the background. And so you know, when we make uh, comments and such statements about, you know, the end times of uh, tribulation, those words of the beast, the Antichrist, 666, uh, all that kind of stuff, then sometimes if you don't understand that or haven't been brought into it, sometimes you get some confusion and things, and maybe it doesn't make sense to you as what's going on. And so as I was hearing some of those questions coming towards me through the week, just praying and asking God to give us direction... The Holy Spirit definitely was just, I love it. I, God is amazing, and He excites me so much. Yes, He leads us and talks to us about stuff. He loves you, you know. And He wants to talk with you and have a relationship with you. And yes, kind of like what Justin was talking about, God doesn't like usually speak in a verbal voice. His Word is a verbal voice to us, for sure, the Bible. But He speaks to us in impressions in our spirit, and you know it's Him. And the way you know it's Him is... When the enemy spoke, you did wrong, and it brought guilt, shame, and conviction. When you do right, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, affirms it. He leads us, and He's directing us into life. So it's pretty easy to identify the two voices. Here you go. So we use a word like rapture. Talking about that, that word itself isn't used in the Bible, but it's a word that we have translated and called that, the calling up in First Thessalonians 4, where... In the writings to the church, it says there that the archangel will blow the trumpet and those that are dead in Christ, in other words, those that have died prior to that moment, their bodies will physically be resurrected out of the grave. You do know there's a resurrection, right? And it's a physical resurrection as well as a spiritual one. 
So the Word of God says that the Spirit, which is with the Lord, that's our soul, that's our self, is with the Lord, and He's going to bring those back with Him. It says right in that Scripture, and the body will be caught up to meet Him in the air. So the Spirit and the body of those who are dead will be reunited, and then those who are still alive in that moment will be caught up to meet Him in the air. So that's First Thessalonians 4. Now some prophetic teachers say, well, uh, Revelation chapter 4 talks about that same thing happening when John is caught up into heaven. Now, I'm not one that uh, sees it that way, but it doesn't matter. You can see it any way you want to. The truth is the truth, and God's going to reveal what the real truth is in His time and His way, right? So, either way. The fact of the matter is, is that there's this word rapture that happens and this event will happen because it is biblical and God's going to do that that he says he will do. Now, I don't know that it's going to happen the way we've taught it, but I know it's going to happen because God said it. We're all good? So, here's what's happened when we talk about rapture, seven years of tribulation, uh, the judgment of God, the beast, the Antichrist, the prophet of the beast, 666, and all that stuff that goes in there. For clarification purposes, I want everyone to understand those items are in God's Word, and God talks about them, and they're real. Okay? They are. The way they unfold may not be the way that we've taught it. That I know for sure. Okay? So please stay with me. See, uh, here's the way that it's taught. There is this turning away from God. The world is going bad and going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak, in our terminology. And there's the select few, and the rapture happens, and Jesus calls his bride to be with him, but he doesn't fully return on the earth. We go to be with him, with the Lord, and the tribulation period happens after that. So seven years of tribulation happens after the rapture. Now that is called pre-tribulation rapture okay just given clarification so we're all on the same page for where god's taken us today the tribulation period itself as translated us by reading in the book of revelation in the seven years three and a half years of it are peace and then three and a half years of like all hell breaks loose in that, there are some in the Christian community that teach that, you know, no, we're not going to be raptured prior to the tribulation. It's going to happen at the midpoint. So those are mid-tribulation rapture people. All right? So we have the pre and the mid. And there's the post. Obviously after, right? Okay, so I want you to know in my flesh, I'm praying, God, let it be pre. If it's not pre, please let it be mid. And God, please, please, please don't let it be post. All right, that's just my flesh, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm really holding out for the beam me out Scotty thing when all hell breaks loose. Like, get me out of here. If it's all going to happen, I don't want to be a part of it. So this is my flesh. I'm not teaching that. I want you to know it is the common teaching of the church today. Vast across the world, the vast majority of Christians believe in the end times coming to this point of a seven-year tribulation period with either a rapture pre, mid, or post, and that all that's going to happen in the midst of that will be when the judgment of God falls, 
the beast, the Antichrist, and all that rises up, that there's going to be that time of receiving the mark of the beast, which is 666, or the name of the beast. And all these things will take place, and then it will conclude with the battle of Armageddon, which is mentioned in the Bible one time, one place, but everybody hears it. And so as you know, what's going to happen, as we read in Revelation last week, that the armies of the world will gather together to actually have a physical war with God. Isn't that crazy? It's biblical. It says it's going to happen. And the Word of God says it's the battle of Armageddon. Now, what the, the modern teaching of the end times is, that when that battle takes place, then God wins, we win, there's a thousand year of millennial reign. Which means that Jesus will reign upon the earth, will reign in peace, the devil will be bound for a thousand years, etc., etc. And then it gets a little fuzzy after that. That's the common teaching of the church today of the end times. Now, um, what this is called is eschatology, which is the teaching of the end times. And you don't have to know that. God's not going to say, what's your eschatology? I want to know that before I let you into heaven. Never going to happen. That's our theological words. I don't know why the educational world tries to put fancy words on stuff so they sound smart. I don't know. Whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is it's the teaching of end times. But what I want you to... Well, first off, before I go any, any further... How many of you have been taught to believe that sequence of events for end times? Would you raise your hand? I mean, I have. Most of us? Okay. The most of us, I'm not saying the exact thing, but it's in that nutshell of that kind of an idea of what's happening in the end. So, what I want us to understand, church, is that teaching and belief did not exist in the church until the 1800s. Now, I mentioned this last week just in passing, but it's important for us to know, church, that this teaching did not exist in the church prior to the early 1800s. So, again, just raising your hands, how many of you know what the teaching of the end times, the eschatology, uh, eschatology what that teaching was and belief that was happening in the church prior to this view of end times, do you know what that was? If you do, raise your hand. See, I see one, two, three, four. Okay, pretty much what we had in the first service. See, we, we didn't even know what the church has been talking about for 1,800 years. We only know what's been new and the approach we take to the end times, which is kind of scary. Because the church believed and taught something for 1,800 years, but somehow it got changed about how this end times would work and how things would unfold as we move forward. So a very brief ex explanation of what the church used to believe about the end times is this. The church believed that you and I as the body of Christ would share our faith with the world and that people would come to Christ and that people would be saved all around the world. And there would be a move of God that happened to the point where Jesus Christ would just come in and He would reign because we've all done the work of transformation by the power of God through Jesus Christ and that the thousand-year millennial kingdom would come because the church, in obedience to Christ, had ushered in that move. Pretty contrasting, isn't it? See, what we were, the church was believing was that the church would be so on fire for God, sharing Jesus with the world, that the world would be transformed, falling on their knees before God, and that God Himself would come and reign here. So, since the 1800s, instead, the church has been like, 
Oh no! The wrath of God is going to be poured out. Let's hide. Let's gather together in our holy groups. Let's stay inside the building and not be the church that God's called us to be. Because what God's word, this is the modern teaching, things are going to get worse and worse. It's a bad place out there. Everything is going to get worse. And so as the church views the world all turning away and going worse, we have responded by the church retracting within itself. And the church instead has become self-centered, self-motivated, self-driven, self-serving, all the while serving Christ within ourself. I mean, by and large, listen, you know this, if you're listening to anything in the Christian community out there, not many people are thinking that there is a global revival coming. <laughs> right? I mean, who's saying that? I'm not saying that. Listen to me. Who's saying that? No. Everybody out there is saying, it's over. It's done. The end is here. There's no hope. We're beyond repair. God's coming. That's our only hope. Beam us out. Let's go. Right, church? Come on. Isn't that what the mentality is? I'm talking about the Christian community, not the world. And so as we listen to this, let's go back in our history just a little bit to those early 1800s. What was happening? Well, there was this dark period called the Dark Ages, which means the light wasn't being shown because the church was corrupt and messed up. Got their eyes off Jesus. It became about them, money, power, politics. And it became all about that. Hmm. Oh, anyway, um, there was this dark period. God always has a remnant of people, always has a remnant of people that follow him. God caused a call and a move of the Holy Spirit. And what happened in the early 1700s to the mid-1700s was what is called the Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening is what it's called because there was a global revival that took place. The Spirit of God was moving God was moving through incredible men of God. One of those was John Wesley, George Whitfield, people like that, who, church, you got to hear it. It's amazing. So here's John Wesley, without getting way off, uh, off point here. John Wesley was an Anglican priest in the Church of England. High church. Very liturgically driven. Very social. Very about education, smartness, money, power, position. But he saw some people on a boat when he was about, he was scared to death crossing the ocean because he thought he was going to die and he was full of fear while he was a priest. And he saw this little group of people over there calmly praying and singing and he went over to them after the storm and said, hey, hey what's up with you guys? How are you doing that? And they talked to him and told him about being saved and having Jesus in your heart. Isn't that awesome? So here's this highly educated, super smart guy here's this truth from the word of God that he'd been talking about but didn't know who began to look into this and found out that yes salvation is by faith and he experienced a breakthrough in his own life where he was saved born again found Christ and he began to preach that in the church and you know what happened got kicked out of the church they kicked him out can't preach that here you can't preach that salvation in Jesus stuff. Get out. So he went out and he began to preach into the streets to the poor, the broken, the alcoholics, the prostitutes, 
That's where he began to share Jesus. God was moving. Revival began to spread. Went out into the fields to the miners. George Whitfield, another preacher, preaching out there in the field. See, the church didn't think you should speak God's word outside the building. That you needed to come to the church to receive the word, to receive Christ, to receive communion, to do all these things within the body, in the church, and this is where it belonged. I mean, I don't know why they didn't read the Gospels where Jesus was out there in the streets and in, out there in the, on the water, out there in the, in the hills and the valleys preaching and teaching. But the church didn't do that. And so now these guys are out there preaching Jesus and these miners were coming to Christ, the drunkards were coming to Christ, the prostitutes were coming to Christ. God was moving and there came a movement that swept the globe. Um, you know, uh, slavery was abolished over there in England and all that, instrumental because of the Great Awakening. Church, God was moving. But at the end of that, the Methodist Church, which our history is attached to some of that, the Methodist Church that was born from the move of God in the Great Awakening became the church that it had left and broke away from. It became about a social environment. It became about that and this and this. And they lost their own teachings. They lost what they believe in. They lost the Word of God. And they became part of culture. It's happened today. Today. Okay? But it started happening. So what does God do? The Holy Spirit's moving, right? So then there was the second great awakening that happened. And that took place between 1795 and 1835. The Spirit of God moved. What took place then was what became known as the tent revivals or camp meetings. Y'all heard that terminology? I mean, I've been at some of those, not back then. But the church tries to replicate what happened back then to try and duplicate it and make it happen again. It doesn't happen. All right, just so you know, like we, can, we have vans, but the bus ministry was the early 70s. We can't recreate stuff. The Spirit of God has to birth a move of God. The church can't do it. So what we try and do is we try to mock what happened before, thinking we'll get the same results. It's crazy how we do that stuff, isn't it? But anyway, we don't want to get off, which I already did. Let's go forward. The second great awakening happens. So there's revival meetings and tent meetings and people are coming to Christ and a move of God is happening. <laughs> Spirit of God's moving across the globe. Not just an environment, not just a city, church, the globe. Spirit of God's moving. <laughs> so here it is. The church is believing, as they saw evidence of the first and the second great awakenings, you know, like it was the end times, right? Because remember what they believed? Spirit of God's moving. People are going to come to Christ globally and then Jesus will come. So they were like seeing God move. It wasn't that long before that there was another great awakening. So surely this must be the moment. Christ must be coming. Because see, God's moving. Okay. So here it is. Stuff's going on. And when the Spirit of God moves for some reason people start to key into the end. So as we look at this and we think about it and where they were, what happened at the 
end of and the midst of, in the midst of an end of, I should say it that way, of the second great awakening, two false faiths were born. When the Spirit of God moves, people are open to deception too. Okay? I'm sure there were others. I'm bringing these two out because everybody in this room has heard of both of them because they exist today and they have millions of followers. The first deceiving faith that came forth was Mormonism. Now, some of you maybe have been tied with the Mormon movement or you have family or whatever. Just stay with me. Everything I share with you right now is factual, historical. You can look it up and it's truth, okay? Just so we know. Mormonism was formed by Joseph Smith and his friend... Um, they went out into the woods together to talk together about baptism. Joseph Smith has this all written in his own records and all that's there. And so as he was there, um, he and his friend claim that John the Baptist came to him. And when John the Baptist came to them, he bestowed upon them the Aaronic priesthood blessing from God from the Old Testament. If you know your Bible, you know that God ordained the sons of Aaron to be the high priests through the Old Testament law all the way through. But if you know your New Testament, you know that Jesus Christ came to be the high priest, right? Okay? But so what Joseph Smith declared was that John the Baptist came and reinstituted the Aaronic priesthood to him and to his friend. And then upon receiving this, they were also helped by an angel to discover these golden plates with old Egyptian writing on them that only he could read. And so he would interpret what it said, which were the beliefs of Mormonism, which is the Book of Mormon. Now stay with me. Because these plates contained this teaching that only he knew, and he began to tell people. Now Joseph Smith had a history, and he had problems with the law. And he had a history of issues. And part of what was written on the plate was that uh, he had the authority to, if he wanted your wife, he could have her. And he began to collect people's wives and other women. And so he had multiple wives. And so his followers, listen, I want to say this one thing. I've already mentioned it in the past about other stuff. False faiths often appeal to your flesh. The, the desire of the flesh is always involved to feed self. And so in this process of claiming others, people's wives as his and such, obviously communities were not real receptive to the Mormon movement, which it was called the Church of Latter-day Saints, right? It is today. And so they were not really well embraced by communities. And therefore the Mormons moved around When they were in Illinois, Joseph Smith was accused of some illegal activity and such. He was uh, uh, murdered by a mob in Illinois uh, that were fighting against his stuff. So what happened was a power struggle took place about who was going to lead this movement of people that were now moving in a band around the nation and Brigham Young won, you know, the university named after him. So Brigham Young became the main dude in the movement of Mormonism and they moved to Utah out west where they were safe from everybody and they could establish their own stuff. Now, 
As I say this to you, church, the Book of Mormon is not the Word of God, nor does it align with Scripture. We need to know what the Bible says, and we'll know when there's false teaching happening. Today, there are millions of people following those teachings. Millions. Nobody has to tell you that when you see a couple guys riding on bicycles with a white shirt and tie, who they are. You know who they are. They're missionaries carrying out that story door to door. God help us. Here's a second group. Seventh-day Adventists. Y'all heard of them. They have millions of followers as well. So, here's the, here's the deal that happened here. The founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement <clears throat> was in that part of that second great awakening. And because, remember what I was talking about, how end times, the move of God, all this stuff is going to happen and everything. Well, he began to proclaim to everybody, judgment day is coming. And actually, I can tell you, it's going to be March 21st, 1843. The judgment of God is coming. Church, Methodists and Baptists began to flock to follow his teachings. They had been awakened by the Spirit of God. They were sharing Jesus with people. Now they hear judgments coming. It's the end of all things. Therefore, since Christ is coming, this is the date, this is the time. So what did they all do? They stopped everything else. Literally, if you look it up in history, some people were not even buried that had died close to that date. They didn't plant crops. They didn't go to work. They stopped functioning because they said, why bother? If I bury my Aunt Susie, she's just going to come back anyway. Let's just lay her on the table and let's just let her join us in the coming of Christ. I'm talking about the Christian community here. And so they're telling everybody the judgment's coming March 21st, 1843. So what do you think people are sharing with other people? They're telling them they need Jesus because the day of judgment's about to fall. You need to convert. You need to be ready. So here these people do. And they're all looking for this to happen. So when that date dawns, many of them put on white robes. Not sure why. The Bible says Jesus is going to give us one of those. And ours isn't going to be good enough. But they did. Some of them climbed up on the roof. I don't know if they thought that Jesus couldn't see them in their house or what. But they did. They physically got on the roof. And they were waiting. And guess what? March 22nd came. What happens then? It's March 22nd, 1843. Now I got to climb off my roof. Now I got to bury Aunt Susie. Now I got to go do something about the crops I didn't plant. Now I got to go ask if I can get my job back. Everybody's mocking them and making fun of them. Why? Because those nutty Christians with their end time beliefs don't know nothing. You hear who gets damaged in this church? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the Christianity. So what does the founder do? I apologize, church. I was miscalculating. 
It was March 21st, 1844, not 43. Seriously. It's what he did. It's documented in history. I'm talking about the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. So, of course, nothing happened. March 22nd, 1844 dawns. No judgment day. No return of Christ. So then he says, I'm sorry, it was October 22nd. Now, I'm not making this up. This is history. I'm sorry, I was wrong on both those prior dates. Instead, it's October 22nd, 1844. And of course, nothing. And even though the founder of this movement was wrong, three different times about what he said was going to happen, people still follow his teachings and interpretation of Scripture. Think about it. Let that sink in. We're like, what? Wait. Why? Listen, because the Word of God tells us. The Word of God tells us that deception will fall and people will believe a lie rather than the truth. I want you to know what's happening today because you see, we are living in the end times. When you read your Bible, you know that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and Peter's out there preaching in the streets, when they said, what is going on? Because we hear everybody talking in our own language. We hear them and understand what they're saying without an interpreter. That was the gift of the Holy Spirit, church, remember? Peter said, this is what was proclaimed by Joel, who is a prophet in the Old Testament, that in the end times, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Right? So the end times did start 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. So are we living in it? Yes, we are. The deception that we were warned about in Scripture is happening all around us. People are following Antichrist. They're believing lies. They're following false teachings that it makes their ears feel good. They like the way it makes them feel. They follow it, right? It's happening. That stuff that is biblically told to us is happening today. Okay, so let's continue to move forward and see what is it that God is saying to us through all this stuff. Because you and I... All we have to do is look at history. We can look at these things and see it happening. Each and every time the Spirit of God moves, when there's an awakening and a move of God, people are open to looking towards the end and following false prophets and teachers. Here's what the Word of God says. In the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. I do not speak Hebrew. I want you to know there's tools. You and all, you all are accessible to them online. If you look up blueletterbible.com, you can download that. You can have it for free. You can look up words, and it gives you Hebrew, Greek meaning, words that are given in Aramaic. So the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. And so you can actually look at the original wording that was there and all that stuff. I don't, I'm not recommending that to everybody. You don't need to do that. You know, we have great translations in our language, but it's important for us to know some of the foundational things that are important to us to know. So in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, for prophet, the word for prophet, like when God said that he has called Moses to be a prophet and those who would follow behind him, and Samuel is a prophet, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and all that, all right? So that word, when you look at the root meaning in the Hebrew language, as we look at it in our interpretation of that scripture of what the Hebrew means, it has this under that word. It's N-A-V-I is how we would say it in our English language. I'm not going to say it. It doesn't matter. 
This is what it says. It's, the meaning of that word is to proclaim, mention, call, or summon. So think about that meaning when you think about prophets and what they did. They proclaimed. They mentioned what God was saying. They called and they summoned. All right, so that's what the meaning of prophet is. Going into the New Testament, the Greek, uh, again, I'm not going to try and say the word. It's P-R-O-F-I-T-I-S is the, the uh, you know, way that we would say it in our English language, but it doesn't sound like that, and I don't want to do that and slaughter it. It doesn't matter. But I want you to know what it means. It comes from the word for spokesman. Literal translation to us would be someone who speaks on behalf of God. Huh. So in the English language, when we look at the word prophet and we have that translated from the original Hebrew and the Greek, it comes to this in our dictionary when you look it up. It says, a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God. So, biblical definition of prophet... Uh, and again, this is not said in arrogance. You need to understand what I'm saying to that. I, I am a biblical prophet. So the, the, the problem that we have with hearing that is this. That most of us think of a prophet as someone who's talking mystical futuristic. And that they have this in-tune thing to God to interpret what the future looks like and tell us what God's going to say. But the biblical interpretation of a prophet is someone who calls, summons, speaks on behalf of God, shares God's Word. Right? That's God's Word. That's what He teaches us and shows us. But sometimes what happens is when someone proclaims to be a prophet, Christian people go to them and they want them to tell themselves, like, tell me, what God's saying to me or about me or what my future looks like. I know it's true. We've had people in our church that have proclaimed to be prophets in the past. I'm not saying people aren't prophets. You've got to stay with me and don't get off in your own world. But I know this, that usually the people that come and talk about being a prophet of God, most of the time they're talking about the future. And most of the time, people come to them wanting a word from God for their future. And I tell people all the time, like, you know God wants to talk to you, right? Listen to me, church. God wants to talk to you. God loves you. If He has a message for you, He'll bring it to you. You don't have to go seek it. Seek Him, and He will speak. Read His Word, and He will talk. Listen to what God is saying, and the Holy Spirit will affirm what He is saying. We don't have to run to people to say, what is it? What is it? What is God going to say about my future? Listen, God's talking to us all the time. So, I'm not here to give my version of the end times. I'm not. Now, some people will think I am. I'm not. I'm asking us as a church, as God's people, to look at what God actually says. And not allow ourselves to just believe something we were taught according to how they told us it would be. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm being completely blunt with you and saying, I don't know that I believe the previous 1800 years teaching, and I'm pretty uh, adamant that I don't believe the modern day teaching of the end times. 
I mean, I'm just saying, like the way we teach it, I just don't believe it. Okay? Just to be clear with you, I'm being honest. I choose to follow Jesus today. And I'm going to serve Him with all my heart. And I know that whatever shakes out and however it comes, it's going to be right. And I will be good as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus. And that's all I care. Okay, I just want to be clear with you. But I also want to be clear about this. See, God's word is truth. And if we will hold on to God's word, God's word is truth and it will prove itself to be true. God's word is truth and it will prove itself. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He will lead us into all truth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to look for it and figure these things out and share it with others when you don't know what you're talking about. Let the Spirit of God affirm what God says and God will affirm it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now we're talking about the one and only Savior of the world. They use in false faith the name Jesus. But if you look into the Jesus they're talking about, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Savior of the world. Come on, church. We need to know these things. He is the one and only. He told us there's not many mountains. It's not like it's okay for them to believe what they believe. It's not okay. It's only Jesus. And hell is real. And people are going there every day that think they're okay. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being wrong. I'm saying, church, we need to wake up and see the truth of what God says. So let's talk about these end times and what God actually says. Because there's a rumor going around that the vaccine for COVID-19 is the mark of the beast. Please don't make any comments. I'm serious. I want to help us as a church see something. It's getting a lot of traction that people are believing this is the mark of the beast. So to the point where literally a secular Minneapolis-based Hennepin Healthcare, again, you can Google it, not now, after church. It's put on their state's proclamation and it's an online fact sheet about the vaccination. Okay? It is actually on this public document that it states the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. There's two things that I, I see in that. I'm excited that they know what that is. And then I'm like, Lord, help us as your church. My second response is, oh God, help us. Because see, the church is saying this. The world would never say, are you hearing me? The world would never say the vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's coming from the church. You agree? Right? Okay, and that's coming from self-proclaimed prophets. But what does God's word say? What does God's word say? After all, shouldn't we know what God's word says? Stay with me, please. Because see, with false proclamations, there comes damage and consequences to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And so when the church promotes this and says it and teaches it and shoves it out into people, just like the doomsday judgment that was coming, the next day dawns and nothing. We damage the gospel. (sighs) 
Please don't follow people. Follow Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. So as we look in the Word of God and see what does God's Word actually say about this. So first, before we read the Word of God about the mark of the beast and actually what the Bible says about it, let's remember this. The book of Revelation itself, the title Revelation, is translated from the Greek word into our English language, but the original meaning or word, I should say, is apocalypsis. And that may not be the right way to pronounce it. Don't care. It's what it is. And here's the meaning. The unveiling or revealing. I want that to sink in. Revelation. The unveiling or revealing. So this is God's word, God's message to God's people. And what God says is, I'm giving you this vision. I'm pulling back the curtain so that you can see the end before it happens. We should be excited about that, church. God says, I'm letting you peek behind the curtain of my calendar. I'm going to give you a glimpse into what's going to happen. I'm going to be the one that allows this to happen, causes it to happen, and it will happen. God says, I am giving you a revelation, an unveiling, a revealing. Here's what's going to go down. That doesn't sound like it's something hidden and scary, does it? God says, unveiling, revealing. I want you to see it before it happens. It's truth. It's light. Revelation chapter 13. All right, I'm only going to read this one point here in this. But prior to me reading this, there was another beast that arose in power on the earth. So hear this. This is John speaking to us and says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He he writes in poetic literature, so stay with me. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. The dragon is often used as a symbol and a word and synonymous with the devil, by the way. That's why I don't like dragons and don't keep them around me. It's given to him as a name. Stay with it now. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to do. Did you hear that? This beast, this person of power is going to do miracles and God's going to allow them to do miracles. He does miracles that he's allowed to do. And with the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. So there's a differentiation here. The Word of God is telling us that those who are not following Christ will be deceived by this person who has supernatural power, who will do miracles in their presence, whom the world will see doing miracles, and they will follow. But only the world, not the church, not Christian people, not the followers of Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? Church, please hear this. He deceived all the people who belong to this world. If we weren't in this world at this time, why would it state that? I believe the church is going to be here when this happens. Makes sense to me, but you don't have to believe it. I'm still banking and hoping, I shouldn't say banking, I'm, I'm begging God to be in the beam me up Scotty thing before all this happens. But anyway, 
Listen to what it says. He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. That's some crazy stuff going on right here, right? I mean, are you letting that sink in? Like, this stuff's going to happen. This is God's word, and God's unveiling this. He said, I want all y'all to know this is going to happen. Someone's going to get wounded and and die. They're going to be resurrected. Huh. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? They're going to perform miracles. People are going to start to worship. Statue comes to life and speaks. If you don't worship, you're going to die. Let's keep going. Listen to what it says. Then the statue of the beast commanded, then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or in their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So two different things, a name or a number, right? Stay with it. Let's see what God's word says. Wisdom is needed here. That's in the word of God. Stops right there saying the name or the number is going to be given in the right end of the forehead. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Church, we need to understand this is not a game. 666 is not something we should just mess around with or think it's no big deal. It is a very big deal. And it comes from the darkness. And God is unveiling and saying, look, all this stuff is going to take place. I want you to know. Church, but stay with this. The things that we just read in God's Word happen before the mark of the beast is required. None of that has happened yet. None of it. So come on. We haven't seen the first beast come up, get wounded and die, and the second beast raise it to life. Never saw that yet. I haven't seen miracles where someone, the whole world sees come fire down from heaven. Have you? I haven't seen anybody make a statue and tell us we got to bow down and worship it. I haven't seen a statue come to life. But it's going to happen. Okay, so let's stay with God's word. They don't give you the vaccine in your right hand or your forehead, do they? Come on, church. See, when we're promoting things that aren't God's word, we're discrediting the gospel and God's word itself. Now, I made a mention of this last week. I'm mentioning it again to you today. There is no question in my mind that this vaccine is preparing the world for that next step. No doubt about it. Because church, come on. I mean, we step back here. God says, here's the unveiling. This is what's going to go down. And we're like trying to figure it out. Like, how could that happen? How would the world do all this? And it's like, wow, I see. Everybody's just going to be like, stick me. Come on. And if you haven't been, I'm not making light of it. I'm telling you the truth. Like, and if and they're like separating, we're dividing over the fact, hey, if you haven't been stuck, you shouldn't be allowed to go into store, go to the restaurant, fly anywhere doing it, right? That's what's happening right now over a vaccine. So it's very, very easy to see how people will just line up to receive the mark in their hand or their forehead. 
And if you don't got it, you don't buy, you don't have any economic growth, you don't have any way of doing anything, you're isolated and left out. Well then, so that means, as I read God's Word, some will, some won't. Okay, I'll let that lay. There is always in the works a paving of the way. The Bible tells us that there's going to be like, you know, no money or anything either, right? Like, so when we know we got our debit cards, I don't carry cash around. I don't carry it. I got a debit card. Now it's got a chip in it. People are like, they're just going to put the chip in you. Then you don't have to carry a wallet or anything. That's going to have your identification. It's going to have everything, right? No brainer. See how easy it just moves? All these things are prequels to what's going to happen in the future about what the end really is. And people are just willingly accepting every change and everything going and the world is being deceived into this belief that everything is getting better and it's going to get fixed that way. Jesus, our Savior, says, here's the unveiling. I want you to know it before it happens. So now COVID-19, the vaccine, is an awakening in the church saying, look, see how easy it's going to be? guys. Are you guys awake? Do you know what God's saying? Do you know what the Lord has told us? Do you know what He's revealing to us? Do you know what our call is? Church, as we look in the Word of God, we have a call on our lives. It's not to tell the world about what's going to happen in the end. It's to tell them who Jesus is. That's where we're supposed to be focused. That's what it's all about. It's about Jesus Christ. And when we get distracted and off on all this other stuff and we go in these directions and we start promoting that, forwarding YouTube videos about that and that and that and people are watching it and then some people in the world that have a biblical background are scared and then they're like, well, I better go to church because if it's the end and then the end doesn't come, they're like, I don't believe any of this. And we do more damage to the gospel than anything else. Church, come on, man. Jesus said this, just about to leave. This is our focus and our call. Matthew 28, he says, Jesus came to all his disciples. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We're talking about the crucified, resurrected Savior Jesus Christ here. The word of God says, I, Jesus, have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Our God reigns. The enemy doesn't reign. The darkness doesn't reign. Our God reigns. The only way the beast will be able to do anything is because God allows him to. I love it. Our God is an awesome God, isn't he? He's amazing. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. I don't see him telling us, warn them about the end times. Tell them all the commands I've given you and be sure of this I'm with you always even to the end of the age Lord Jesus Christ has said look I've got you share me with everybody else teach them who I am and how to live for me and I'm going to be with you through it all that's the assurance we have church I don't care about any of that other stuff I don't live in fear of the end times. I'm not afraid of the vaccine or the bark of the beast or the prophet. I'm not afraid of that stuff. Why? Because my God reigns and He's with me and He's with me to the end. Whatever I have to face in life, He said, I'm going to be there. I trust you. Do you trust Him? Look, man, it says in Acts 1, He's ascending into heaven. What did He tell them? So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking Him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? See, it's, it's nothing new. 
the followers back then wanted to know the end as well. They're like, hey, is, now, is it happening now? No. This is what Jesus says to them. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. I mean, I've said this so many times, and I still don't get it. Like, why people don't read the Bible? I don't. I, I'm serious. Do you know how many of us are putting stuff out there that if we just read the Bible, we wouldn't need to? It's right there. He's the only one with that authority. He's got the calendar. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Whenever the Father says it's over, it's over. And Jesus said, I'll be there all the way there. All the way there. Okay, let's see what else he tells us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me. What's our call? Talking to people about Jesus. He said, you're going to have the power. What is the power of the Holy Spirit to do? To give us the power and the ability to witness about who Jesus is. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We have a call and a mission, church, to make disciples, to talk to people about who Jesus is, to believe God is going to do something in their life. I have a hope in Jesus Christ today. I have a hope in my God to know that our God is a merciful God, a God of redemption, restoration, and healing. That's who He is. And so we as a church can retract back. We have this choice and just say, it's over. Let's let it roll. It's going to fall apart. Or we can go out there and talk to people about Jesus and share Him and see what God's going to do in their life and let God be God and let them know there is a Savior because the world is looking for hope right now. They're broken. They're like looking for it. Our nation, the United States of America, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, and uh, liberals, all of them, all of us know our nation's a mess. Right? We do. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows things are screwed up. They need hope. They need Jesus. See, so the way we could look at it, church... The way we could look at this is the nation and the world is set for a third great awakening. We could look at it that way if we wanted to. We could talk about that if we wanted to. We could pray for that if we wanted to. We could believe God for that if we wanted to. See, when you go back into the Old Testament and you see the prophet Jonah, God said, Jonah, I want you to go down there to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, by the way, a pagan country very heathen people that did atrocious things to their to their captives. They were brutal people, if you know anything about history and Assyrians. So God calls Jonah and says, I want you to go and preach to them. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to that great city Nineveh and I want you to proclaim to them that for in 40 days, God's judgment's going to fall and destruction's coming to this city. You know the story of Jonah. He runs the other way. He doesn't want to go and do it. God, you know, grabs him, pukes him out, go do it. He goes and does it. Jonah's walking through the city. God's judgment's going to fall. 40 days, it's over. Here's one of those end times messages that's pretty awesome and accurate. But guess what? It didn't happen. Fall, fall, fall. So the king and all the people hear the message. And from the king to the poorest in their, their city, the king calls to the people and says, everyone put on sackcloth and ashes fast. And let's pray, let's repent, and let's ask God to forgive us. Isn't that amazing? Talk about a pagan people. No God. They don't serve God. But they hear God's message from God's messenger. As broken and screwed up as Jonah was, 
they heard God through him. And what happens there is the people repent. And so God does. And Jonah is ticked off. Jonah says to God, this is exactly why I didn't want to warn him. I knew that you were a God of mercy. I knew that you were a God that relents. Are you hearing it, church? He's like, God, I know you. And I know you'd rather forgive and heal than destroy. That's the God we serve. It is God's heart to redeem, not destroy. He has not come already because He desires people to turn to Jesus. God's Word says that. So now as we are being called by God Himself, go out there and proclaim this message to these heathen, broken people who do not know who I am. We have the choice as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, to either do what Jesus says, which is to go out there and say it, or retract and wait for a beam me up Scotty moment. Come on. Seriously. So church, we know our call. No one that knows Jesus Christ doesn't know they're supposed to go out and share Jesus and make disciples. We all know that, right? I mean, we've read our Bible and we know that God calls us to that. And yet, statistics in the church today show that very, 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 very few people ever share their faith. So we're not even doing what Jesus asked us to do, which is to share Him with everyone. And we're tracking back and waiting for that beam-me-up Scotty moment that will save us from the utter destruction that they're going to have to go through. Do you see how that teaching can mess us up? God's calling us, church. God's calling us. He's saying, church, wake up. See, the first great awakening of today needs to happen in the church. We need to be revived. We need to engage the Spirit of God and to begin to see that we serve an amazing God of power and transformation and healing and rebuilding and restoration. That's the God we serve. And I believe that there's going to be a coming awakening. I'm not telling you it's a third great awakening. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there is a move of God coming. And I believe that. And church, if we don't get on board with what the Spirit of God is doing and stay true to His Word, we could be deceived. Led astray and follow false teachings. Know the truth. Know what God says. Follow Him with all your heart, life, soul, strength, and might. Come on, church. we got to do this thing. The enemy wants to get us to look at anything other than Jesus. Anything other than Jesus. So I'm going to ask a favor of you, please. The next time you see a YouTube video about the vaccine and the mark of the beast, just delete it. Don't forward it. Stop it. Church, seriously, we've got to stop it. We've got to point people to Jesus. When you're on your social media and you see that stuff going on, Encourage people to get their eyes on Jesus, the hope of the world. Not engage in combat. It's not what I'm saying. Do in love. Say, you know what? My hope is in Jesus Christ. Not even worried about any of that stuff. I'm not worried about Democrats or Republicans. I'm not. I'm not worried about any of that. I'm, I want to focus on Jesus so much that the whole world is dim. And all it is about Him and me. Amen. <laughs> Are you a born again believer? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Do you know Him? Yes. You have a call on your life, you know. 
Your calling, we read in Scripture, is to be His witness, to teach people who He is, to show others about this amazing saving grace that is available through Jesus Christ. Please engage it. Who is the Holy Spirit talking to you about and putting in your path that you're supposed to share Him with? See, we're not supposed to just go out and just shout it at everybody. That's not what God's asking us to do. I mean, if He asks you to do it, do it. But what He's asking us to do is to, to teach people, show people, live in front of people, and call people to this amazing relationship God has. Pray for discernment for the moment of truth to rightly share His Word. The Holy Spirit will lead you, church. He will show you the moment. He will open the door for us to let them know who Jesus is. But before that can happen, we got to listen and we got to be ready. So we have to be in tune with the Spirit of God ourselves to know when He's saying it. Okay? Let's stand together. God is good, man. His Word is truth. He's calling us, church. He's so calling us. Are you hearing Him? He's talking to us. He's calling you. What is he talking to you about today? Do you need to repent? Have you been keeping your eyes focused on other stuff other than Jesus? Have you been distracted with what's happening in the world around you and losing sight of your Savior? If so, you need to repent. Ask him to forgive you and refocus on Jesus Christ. Church, he's, he's waiting. Does anyone just need to come and spend some time with him at the altar about whatever he's talking to you about? If you do, please come forward. It's between you and him. Just do it. Be obedient. It's all about this. It's about this moment in your life. Man, when you focus on Jesus, the other stuff that's been distracting you gets dim and, wow, kind of puts life in right perspective. It does. Will you focus on him today? Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth in which it holds for us. Thank you that we have the Bible, God. Your word, it's available to us to know the truth. Thank you for revealing what will happen in the end. Lord, help us to not figure it out just to trust you through it because it's going to happen exactly like you planned. And so we trust you. We trust you in it and through it all. God, have mercy. God, we're asking that you would awaken your church. The awakening of the church happens in the awakening of me. And when all of us own that, stirring of your spirit moving in obedience God Lord we need an awakening in the church we ask you today in Jesus name to awaken your people to the power of who you are to share with others oh God of mercy and grace we ask you to extend it to us we don't deserve it Thanks for being here today. Let's go be that church that he died to make us. Amen. Thank you, Lord.